who is in charge of harvest? Well, as you have seen for the last, I don't know, year at least through the book of Hebrews, I hope that you, you see from our title screen here, Jesus is everything. And, and Jesus is in charge certainly falls under that. Jesus Christ should be in charge and leading the charge at harvest. Who is responsible for harvest? Well, part of that depends on which part of harvest you're talking about. A small group, a ministry area, a family that is a part of harvest. Who's to lead the whole body of harvest as we move forward growing in Christ together as a body of Christ? That would be as we have formed it and followed the Lord together, our shepherd team. And so we look here this morning at one verse that pops out of the final chapter of Hebrews as we look at the idea to follow your shepherds as they follow the chief shepherd. There was a man that was new to the city of Washington, D.C., and he was trying to find his way through uh, what's been called the swamp, and rightly so in, in a lot of ways. And he was standing with, with a friend who had lived there and, and worked among the lobbyists and the politicians and the government officials and the bureaucrats for many years. And as they were standing at, on, on the bridge over the Potomac, uh, his friend who was a veteran of the town saw a log that was floating down the Potomac and he said, you know, this town is like that log. It's, it's crawling with all sorts of different creatures and every single one of them think that they are steering it. They are the leader in their own minds. Leadership has come up already in this chapter of the book of Hebrews. And it, we, see, we saw in Hebrews 13, verses 7 through 9, Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Then he goes on to, to warn them, do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings. You might remember when we were in this passage here in chapter 13 of Hebrews. And so the situation in the, in the historical setting for these Hebrew Christians was that the major, the, and, and the, the major theme, if you remember, for the, uh, this letter to them was that they would be watching for, that they would be preserved in what they were to believe in, in Christ, in order to, to follow Christ. And, and many of them were kind of halfway there. They were still considering whether or not following Christ was worth the sacrifice of their relationships with their friends and families. The original readers had explained to them the unchanging truth of Christ. And they, they had understood that, that he is not going to change from one place or another, from one time to another. And they're, they're, they had this explained to them by their original leaders. 
But whether they had been imprisoned or, or died from persecution or just passed away naturally, those original leaders were not with them any longer. And their present leaders had the responsibility to hold them to that unchanging truth, to hold that out before them. To let them remind them of who Jesus is. And that he is the same yesterday and today and forever. And the church has the responsibility of following their leaders as they follow the unchanging Christ. I heard Albert Moeller say recently uh, in referencing this verse that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever, forever. He said, regarding Christ, if it's new, it's not true. In other words, if it's some new idea, or if it's some new, oh, we found this one, you know, postcard-sized document that has this one statement about Jesus, and it's, it's blown our mind about what we've always known, or if it's some Discovery Channel uh, special on the real Jesus, if it's new, it's not true. Because Jesus is the same yesterday and today and forever. So we turn to how they were to uh, continue to follow Jesus with their original leaders, their original disciples, no longer accessible to them. And how was this writer to leave them with instruction for how to follow Christ as, as Christian gatherings together Throughout the civilized world, as I believe this letter was going out in general to all Hebrew believers, he writes to them and says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. The first and primary statement of our passage tells us as a body, follow your shepherds. Follow your shepherds. The first command is, is the term obey. To, it means to be, to be won over as a result of persuasion. Follow the teacher, if you will. It's not about blindly following a strong personality. Or being bullied into to setting your, your brain aside. Or, or, or even though you're thinking, you know, I don't think that this is what Jesus taught. Oh no, we're supposed to obey our leaders. That, that is not what this is saying. It means to be won over as a result of persuasion. I would say biblical persuasion. Of this is what Jesus has called for us to do. Is being open to elders' persuasion in accordance with the unchanging truth of Christ. And if a direction that we go in as a body or, or encourage as a body doesn't seem to fit the unchanging truth of Christ, it means preserving that unity of following the Spirit together and saying, um, are we sure about this? The second command here is similar to the command to obey. It says submit. To, it means to yield under someone's authority. 
Technically, to, to give up. I love uh, the definition of submission. Sub means like a submarine. It means to come under, to go under. And, and if you think of the se- separating sub and mission, submission means to come under the mission of another. To join under that mission and to be a part of it together. The mission of a church leader is to shepherd Jesus' flock according to his desires. And this is because he is the chief shepherd. Peter writes about this when he addresses the elders of the church. When he says, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Then he goes on to tell them, and when the chief shepherd appears, that is when the reward for shepherding a flock to get well and according to his will is brought. But it's going to be according to whether or not it was following the chief shepherd's desire, that chief shepherd being Jesus This is not authoritarian control. Authoritarian leadership, according to Westminster's dictionary, it means to favorably, uh, favoring blind submission to authority. Meaning, you know, this authority, like it's kind of like check your brain at the door, check you what you think is God's will for you at the door. And, and just submit to the authority blindly. And when it, come, when it, when it uh, spreads from authoritarian leadership into totalitarian leadership, that's when a leader is saying, and this is what you should be doing at the dinner table, and this is what you should be doing in your family room, and this is what you should be doing with your extended family. We're not talking about authoritarian or totalitarian leadership. We're talking about much more of what's considered authoritative leadership, which proceeds from an authority that's been given. And as much as their leadership is in keeping with the unchanging Christ, so so there is authority that comes from God for shepherds of a church, but it is an authority in as much as it is in, in accordance with the chief shepherd's will. And it's in accordance with the context that we are gathered together as, a, as a, a congregation, as the flock of God. It's not in terms of, like I said, totalitarian in terms of like, uh, you know, this is who should sit at what, ta- what seat at your dining room table. Church leaders should be, he goes on to explain, church leaders should be obeying and submitting as watchmen, uh, should be obeyed and submitted to as watchmen of our souls. He goes on, he says that, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls. This has the idea of being a watchman on a city gate, if you will, constantly keeping watch. The verb actually has a sense of staying awake and alert even through the night when everyone else is asleep. Think of a guard watching over a city gate, right? Who goes there? Should we be letting this person, should we be letting this teaching 
into the flock, into the fold. This is why one of the terms for the office of a church leader is overseer. Overseeing the the general health of the body, the general health of the teaching that's being done. The doctrine, is it in accordance with the unchanging Christ? Elders are tasked with watching over the part of us that will last forever. Our souls. I say us because even as a pastor and shepherd at Harvest, I am under the shepherd team. I am, you know, what would be called a, 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 an equal among the shepherd team when it comes to decision-making and direction of the church. Now, as the lead pastor, I influence, I give, I, I seek the Lord's desire and, and run that by our shepherd team in terms of the direction of our body. But I, too, am under the authority of the shepherd team as we believe this is God's design for harvest. But a major way of that elders or shepherds are watchmen over the souls of this flock is by watching over harvest's doctrine. By, by you know, I invite often and should invite any sort of, of uh, interest from our shepherd team. Where did you get that from? What exactly are you trying to say there? Does this fit our unchanging Christ? And uh, is this teaching, this book, this approach in keeping with the unchanging truth of our Lord? You know, kind of like uh, I've, I've been able to, to kind of watch this take place with the development of our, our women's ministry at Harvest. You know, the shepherd team. Um, looks at this opportunity and looks at people's willingness to, to put this together and, and we uh, are encouraged by that and we, we give it, hey, let's go ahead with this. And we also look at it and say, now Jeff, Pastor Jeff is, is over discipleship. So, so uh, Sue Zachary and, and other women on this team, let's you know, let Pastor Jeff shepherd this process under the authority of the shepherd team. And for Sue and, and others to, to talk with Jeff about how, how does, does this book look okay? And, and what about this direction? And, and is, this, uh, is this the right amount of, of activity or involvement and expectation? And, and to set people free to ministry is, is a big part of our role. And, and simply to oversee in terms of is this the right use of resources? Is this the right material that, that fits our unchanging Christ? It's a real joy to see these things at work as the ministry is being done by the body. You know, one interesting and unfortunate situation in, in Ukraine, in the early days of Russia's invasion, was that they had to put a curfew over cities like Kiev. And, and they had to say after 8 o'clock at night, nobody should be out on the streets except for military and, and police officials. And the reason for that is because there were Russian saboteurs within the cities that at nighttime would be out and would be placing markers and things like that for, for Russian missiles to find their target, to help them in that way. So, so the, the people of the city of Kiev, in order for this to work, they had to submit to their leadership 
in or as their leadership were trying to have oversight of the city to be able to see what needed to be rooted out, what needed to be protected. And, and it was only going to work as the people of Kiev submitted to that curfew, even though it curtailed some of their personal freedom and things. And, and I thought of that in terms of that ministry of oversight and making a decision that might have even seemed like, well, you know, here we're embattled, and now you're saying we can't go out of our house at this time. But it was that bigger picture of the goal of the safety of the city that they had in mind. And like those Ukrainian residents. Sorry, I just did something to my iPad. <laughs> but like those Ukrainian residents. You're called to obey and to submit to your leaders. If, if I seem a little awkward up here this morning, it's because, I don't know about you, but this is an awkward thing to talk about as a leader, using terms like obey and submit. And I, I, I think you're probably, you should be a little happy that I get a little awkward using terms like that. But like those Ukrainian residents, you're called to obey and submit to your leaders as they are watching over you. Many times this means, not to say, you know, I say it's not totalitarian in terms of, you know, saying, and this is how you should be putting your kids to bed at night. But it does get involved in your personal life sometimes. As we're told in Galatians 6, 1 through 3, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual, I believe that's referring to leadership within the church, both those in that official capacity for that season and also for those who, who minister or have a functional role of leadership within a body. You who are spiritual should... Okay, I'm going to start from the beginning. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. So you see how this is encouraged. Sometimes leadership does get into our personal lives when restoration is needed to take place, especially in a situation of being caught in a transgression. Well, church leaders should be obeyed and submitted to also as those who will stand before the Lord. He says, obey your leaders and submit to them as those who will give an account. To give an account, it's kind of like giving a financial report, a reckoning, if you will, and giving an accounting of, of where money was spent and, and how it was used. Church leaders aren't the only ones that will give an account. All people will. As Jesus warns in Matthew 12, 36, he says, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give accounts, the same term used, people will give account for every careless word they speak. I don't know about you, but I am so glad that I will be standing in the righteousness of Christ when I have to do that. But it makes no less difference that God cares about how I use what he's given me, my mouth, my mind, my family, my money, my time, etc. Shepherds have been given to us to help us to be reminded, to help us to be encouraged. That day is coming. 
how will you give an account? Like I mentioned, back when the Apostle Peter wrote in 1 Peter 5, 2 through 4, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive an unfading crown of glory. That's referencing that account that shepherds at harvest will need to give for that time period that they carried that mantle of leadership for the body of harvest. Church shepherds are to remember that they are accountable to our chief shepherd. Now, I've, I've shown you this picture before, and I was trying to sketch something a while back for, for what does this picture look like? It's shepherding sheep, meaning sheep who have been given the job of shepherding the flock for a period of time. That's kind of the picture for me of, it's corny as it is, the picture for me of what shepherding at harvest is intended to be. Eyes on the shepherd. What does the shepherd desire for his flock? And you know what? We're just sheep ourselves that, that have felt that call, have been asked to, have been led of the Lord to take up that mantle of leadership for a time and to seek what the chief shepherd desires for his flock. I've served in, in different kinds of churches over my, my experience and, you know, I, I thought about this this week. You know, I've been in full-time ministry. I, I served as a part-time youth pastor for a while, but I've been in full-time ministry for 21 years. Eleven of those have been here at Harvest. You know how nice that is to realize? The majority of my ministry experience has been here with a body of believers that I love dearly. Let's keep going with it. But I can remember one church I served in. This was when I was a part-time youth pastor. It was a form of church government that's different than ours. And I'm not saying that this is a perfect expression of that. But it was a form of church government where the deacons that were, were, were the ver- their version of elders or their version of shepherds were re- had a responsibility to the congregation And when it was a church meeting that they had kind of quarterly, but this was the annual church meeting was especially brutal, it was kind of like the the deacons would sit up on the stage facing the firing squad. It was like they had to give an account to the congregation. And, And I think Kelly was sitting in one of these meetings when I was with the youth group and recalled, you know, uh, one of the ladies standing up and saying, That church parking lot was supposed to be paved a year ago. What is happening? And those poor deacons were just having to sit there like deer caught in the headlights. I served at another church where it was explained to me, and I don't know if this is really the accurate explanation of their bylaws and things, but it was explained to me by an elder as a youth pastor. He said, this is how it works here. The congregation is over the elders. And the elders are over the staff. And the elders are over the staff in order to make sure that they are carrying out the will of the congregation. I served at that church for about 18 months. 
Other people have served there well and longer. I did not fit that situation. It was a, it was a structure that was very foreign to me. That is not how we work here at Harvest. And for that reason, you've heard me say before, I feel like Harvest was made for me and I was made for Harvest. But that's not because I'm an authoritarian, some sort of leader, and encourage that on our shepherd team. But the fact is, 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 is at Harvest, our model, I like to call it under-shepherding. Shepherds seeking to follow Christ, our chief shepherd, knowing that we will give an account for that. Having a responsibility for the guidance of the discipleship and the, the direction for us as a body. Shepherding is, is also a theme, as you've heard me say, that we, we encourage and we try to, to foster, especially among our men, but also among our women in, in leadership situations that they find themselves in. Taking care of what God has put in our hands to grow it in Christ for His glory. We try to encourage you to shepherd your families, to shepherd small groups that, that uh, you might lead, to shepherd ministry areas that, that you carry responsibility for for a period of time. That theme of shepherding that we carry as a shepherd team, this is, these are principles that we work from that we try to encourage throughout the body of harvest. Caring for God's flock, preparing knowing that we will give an account to our chief shepherd one day. You know, uh, just as a side note here, the appointment of elders is a major aspect of establishing a church. Okay, what can be considered biblically a church? We see this as a priority of the Apostle Paul's first missionary journey. Uh, He and Barnabas um, traveled around the, the Mediterranean, the, the, um, the area of Asia Minor and such. And, and we can read in Acts 14, as they were about to return home to Antioch, after their first missionary journey, we can read, when they had preached the gospel in that city and had made many disciples, then they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch. So that was kind of like their trip home. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. That was the establishment of those being basically official churches. As they traveled back, discipling, these were, these were people, body of believers, where, where they had shared the gospel with them and, and a number of people, and they kind of set up a Bible study, if you will. And as they traveled back off that first missionary journey, they were establishing them as churches, appointing elders over those bodies. So in my opinion, if a person says, my church is in the woods, or you know what, my church is on the golf course, they are saying, I am am autonomous. I am a law unto myself is what that means. I am not under anyone's leadership. See, these aren't churches. because Not because of their location, but because they're not under church leaders. And there are other aspects of churches as well. I would argue if they're not following the unchanging Christ, I don't care if they do have church leaders, they're not a church by 
God's definition. But one of the aspects of someone being a part of a church is that they are under the authority of that church. There are times when I've had, not, not any of you sitting here, but I've had people introduce me as their pastor. And I've wanted to kind of stop them and say, wait, I'm the closest thing you have to a pastor, but I'm not your pastor. Harvest might be the closest thing you have to a church, but you're not a part of it. You're not a part of this church, partly because they were never here. You know, out in South Dakota where I served as youth pastor, uh, you know, it's kind of a rough and tumble you know, the, the, the descendants that have lived there, they are the descendants of frontiersmen, pioneers. And, and I think kind of under that philosophy, um, many of the families there, more so than what I've seen here in Indiana, many of those families kind of uh, would decide, we're just going to have home church. Dad's the pastor, I guess mom's the women's committee, or, you know, mom's the deaconess board. You know, and the fact is, is that that is not a church. It's not a church partly because there are no church shepherds, church leaders that have been tasked by the Lord for the guidance. There might be shepherding going on. And, and, and honestly, those, those people will give an account for messing up their kids' definition of what a church is, if I can say so that's my side note on what part of how leadership is, is an important aspect of what a church is. So while following our shepherds as they follow the chief shepherd, let's experience God's best design for his church. He says, let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. So let them do what? Let them keep watch over your soul, is what it's referring to. One of the most heartbreaking aspects of leading a church is wanting more spiritual growth for someone than they want for themselves. You experience that as parents, as grandparents. As I've said, you, in many ways, shepherd the areas of, of relationships that God has put into your life and I hope that we as shepherds kind of model for you how to shepherd people toward Christ. Part of that is, is pushing people, not, not in a pushy way, but encouraging people to, to seek the Lord's will for their life. To encourage them to seek that out, to know it. To understand that they will give an account to Him. Experiencing God's best design for his church means leading with joy rather than drudgery. Allowing shepherds to lead with joy rather than with drudgery. With joy means to experience gladness. Now this is going to be dependent on the leader's desire for your healthy soul. This isn't saying whatever makes your leader happy, you should be doing that. Whatever your leader wants, whatever your shepherd desires, that's what you should be doing. That's not what it's saying at all. This is saying make the care of your soul your number one priority and allow them to help us grow. As they're doing this, don't make it like pulling teeth by resisting their ministry is what it's saying. 
The opposite, it says, is to have to do this with groaning. The groaning with which one resumes a thankless task. Kind of like, you know, break is over, lunch is over. Time to go back to work. That groan it's referring to. You guys familiar with that? Parents or grandparents, maybe you've experienced that, that experience of trying to lead a child something that's really, really good, but they do not believe it. You know, and they're like, no, I don't want to go. That's totally different than trying to hold them back. Whoa, whoa, whoa. And, you know, that brings joy to you. I can't wait to get them there. I just got to make sure that, you know, they get there safe. That's the difference, is, is to be able to lead someone into the joy of following Christ. Just, just like, am, I just want to make sure I'm not holding them back. They're so desiring it. And of course, this verse doesn't justify the sin of grumbling, that groaning on the part, that poor attitude on the part of leaders. We as shepherds, we're growing as well. And shepherds have the responsibility of leading with love. Made me think of the book that we've been reading together as shepherds by Alexander Strzok, Leading with Love. And it, and it follows the, the, the exhortations of 1 Corinthians 13. That even in our leadership, we should recall that our, if we're leading with love, it's patient and kind. It doesn't envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. But we lead with love. So lastly, experiencing God's best design for for harvest means following with growth rather than being stunted. He says to, to, to not allow shepherds to keep watch over your soul with joy, causing them to have to groan, desiring more for you than, than what you desire. That would be of no advantage to you. The Hebrew readers are told many times that they should watch out as a corporate body. We've seen a lot of warnings for the Hebrews that were wavering in their commitment to Christ. We saw in Hebrews 2.1, Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. We saw in Hebrews 3, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. We've been seen in Hebrews 10, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And and those leaders were also challenged in Hebrews 12. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. These were all examples of, of, of ways of, of that a church body or individuals could fall back and, and lose that spiritual growth and, and that examples of this would not be of any advantage to you as a body. And that shepherds are called to encourage us away from. So let's experience God's best design for His church. You know, in conclusion, uh, Kelly and I love to watch uh, British detective dramas, right? Any of you guys recognize, oh, it's kind of dark, 
You can kind of see him over here. Anybody recognize DCI, Tom Barnaby? Oh, sorry. Yeah, only some of us are getting this. TCI, you know, they, they always, when they, when they walk up to, to interview somebody or talk to somebody, you know, they flip out the little bifold, uh, billfold of there. He says, uh, DCI Barnaby with Colston CID. I need to ask you a few questions. Why do they flip that out and show it? You know, why not just come in and be like, hey, I'm here and you're going to listen to me? Because they are under authority. There's an authority that's over DCI Barnaby. It means Detective Chief Inspector, by the way. There's an authority that's over DCI Barnaby. And there's an authority that's over this person that they need to ask questions of. And that authority that's over both of them says, this badge means you need to talk with him. This badge means you need to answer his questions on this. Authority is always lent. Authority is always a situation where one person has been told, you have this authority to do this. We have a responsibility to the unchanging Christ as shepherds. And it's not because of the power or the strength of personality. It's not because of bullying or anything like that that anyone at harvest should follow us. It's because we desire the same thing together and we're all under the same authority of Christ. And it should be as we pursue a unity of the Spirit. That's speaking of the Holy Spirit as we follow Christ together. It's not authoritarian, meaning blind submission. It's authoritative, that flows from the authority of God's word, that flows from his leadership process. And as we'll see next week, as we wrap up the book of Hebrews, I'll just close with this. Hebrews 13, verses 20 through 21. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead, our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, our chief shepherd, as First Peter calls it, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with every good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's bow our heads.